Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I'm here with my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, and who wants to take a ride on my little Nelly? (laughs) All right, impressions! All you have to do is... Uh, straddle the middle and pull on the joystick till it blasts off. All right. Excellent. Excellent work there. So in this uh, special bonus episode. That you're doing by yourself. I'm walking out. I feel like I've hit the high <laughs> point. You, you, you peaked at this point. Yeah. That's... So this special bonus episode of our season on the films of 1967 uh, one kind of major pop culture and cinematic uh, area that we hadn't hit yet that we wanted to get to particularly for this year is the James Bond franchise. So we are talking about the 1967 entry in the James Bond series, which is You Only Live Twice. You only live twice. I feel like your Connery impression is better than your Nancy Sinatra Of course, impression. I don't even know if that's what the song yeah. sounds like, but the song is very good. The song is good, yeah. yeah, yeah sung by Nancy one. Sinatra. One of the most well-regarded James Bond theme songs, actually. So um, <laughs> this movie was the uh, fifth film in the James Bond series. And at the time, it was the final Sean Connery James Bond film, which, of course, turned out not to be the case. But... He did leave the franchise briefly after this film and, and had announced before this film came out that he was planning to leave. And you can kind of tell as you watch this movie. Yeah, but I think uh, one thing that we, since this happened so long ago, we were not privy to is like all the fun gossip about how he wouldn't act if like the producers were on set. That's how much their relationship had uh, soured by that point in time. I love hearing stuff like that. (laughs) Yeah, it's not the best example of Connery's performance as James Bond, but these movies were still insanely popular. Uh, This movie had a budget of $9.5 million, which I think was the biggest budget for any James Bond movie at the time. Uh, I mean, this season we talked about a lot of artsy films and uh, movies that were kind of revolutionary and changing cinema. And this is like the big Hollywood blockbuster film. I know. And it's funny because I, you know, uh, we've talked about it before. I always think Jaws as like the first blockbuster and summer blockbuster and everything. But this has all the elements. If you go down the checklist of what a modern blockbuster is, this hits every every box. It does. And, and in a way more, I mean, I think with Jaws, it's because of sort of the release pattern of it as much as anything else in terms of creating the blockbuster. But Jaws has a lot more sort of artistic vision than this movie or, or even Bond movies in general, which are way more of the type of big blockbuster movies we see now that are just, like you said, kind of checking boxes and are sort of anonymously made and are uh, geared toward sort of just giving the audience what they expect. Well, I will say uh, when I said it, I meant it as a compliment Okay, because they check the boxes. But one of my favorite things about this movie is that everything made sense in the context of the action. The action sequences made sense. Mm -hmm. They weren't just there for no reason. You know, I just watched Black Widow and that third act is like, what? Like none of this action has any meaning because there's so much of it and everything and i thought at least this was like cool and like one thing led to the next and 
It worked for me, but obviously not yeah, for you. Yeah, not so much. I mean, some of the action looks cool, but the plot of this movie is 100% yeah. nonsense. And if you can't see Josh's face right now, which you can't because it's a podcast, it's like... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is how I feel. But again, this, this was hugely popular. This movie uh, grossed $111.6 million. Uh, and that may include some re-releases and includes the worldwide release that uh, would have sort of trickled out over time, but still a huge amount of money for a, a relatively small budget in comparison. And the Bond series obviously was insanely popular, continued to be popular, still is popular. So this stuff works. And 1967 was a huge year for James Bond. Uh, two months before You Only Live Twice came out, the film Casino Royale, which was technically based on a James Bond novel, but is really a parody of James Bond films. I mean, it was this huge pop culture thing that they could then make a parody starring Peter Sellers and David Niven and a whole bunch of other people. It is terrible. Um, but it was also a huge hit. And three months before this film came out, uh, the movie In Like Flint, which was the second in a series of James Bond parodies starring James Coburn, had also come out. So, I mean, James Bond was just all over the zeitgeist here in 1967. Interesting to think of uh, James Coburn as a James Bond type because he's got, you know, that kind of like Southern drawl to him. I can't see him like, I'll have that martini shaking, not stirred. Yeah, know? I don't know. I haven't seen those. There was Our Man Flint, which I think was in 66, and then In Like Flint, and I think that was it. And I haven't seen those. But clearly there was a huge market for James Bond-esque stuff. Yeah, Ian Fleming has uh, made himself some money with these books. He did. And, and at the time, the reason that that Casino Royale movie existed was that you know, before James Bond was a was a huge thing, Fleming sold the rights to some different books to different producers. And so there were a lot of conflicting uh, productions that could come into play. Now, of course, it's all streamlined and owned by uh, one set of producers for the last, you know, several. It's like decades. his family, uh, right? Isn't I don't think it's Fleming's family. I think it's it's the Broccoli family. Oh, really? Uh, the yeah. producers, family. the producer. Yeah. And they like kind of they take very, very. uh much pride in making things very difficult for studios to put out these movies. Although now Amazon bought, uh, I think like MGM, MGM but so MGM doesn't have... own the character. They've just been releasing the film. Yeah, I it'll think be interesting. the producers still own the character. Yeah. But at the time, and I think in part because of stuff like Casino Royale, that's why those producers are guarding it very closely. But yeah, at the time there was James Bond everywhere. This movie was uh, award-wise nominated for its uh, art direction by Ken Adam at the BAFTAs. And as much as I was not crazy about it, the art direction in this movie is fantastic. Yeah, it looks awesome. The, the sets are just amazing. So critics at the time, I think, had also gotten a little tired of James Bond, uh, even though audiences maybe hadn't. Uh, Roger Ebert said... A great deal of money was spent on the fifth Bond epic in an attempt to duplicate the mystique, but in a You Only Live Twice, the formula fails to work its magic. Like its predecessor, Thunderball, another below-par entry, this one is top-heavy with gadgets, but weak on plotting and getting everything to work at the same time. Sean Connery labors mightily. There is still the same Bond grin, still the cool humor under fire, still the slight element of satire. But when he puts on his cute little helmet and is strapped into his helicopter, somehow the whole illusion falls apart. And what we're left with is a million dollar playpen in which everything works, but nothing does anything. And then like little Nelly? 
<laughs> little Nelly, the like prop hell. I don't even know what you would call that thing. An auto gyro? <laughs> An auto gyro. Uh, Thunderball, not to be mistaken with Thunderball starring James Dong. That's not a real thing. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the James, that probably is a real thing, sadly. Dave, look up Thunderballs and James Dong. Don't, don't. This is like when we told Dave to Google jizz in our Star Wars episode. <laughs> it made sense for the sake of the conversation. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think that is is right that even just you know five movies in the the familiar elements of this series have become sort of parodies of themselves i mean i like that so your t- little nelly who we keep referencing is you know this like um you know box that comes in the mail and you put it together and it's a working helicopter and uh and it, it can shoot down uh bigger helicopters and it's not really a helicopter. It's like a bike that flies in it's the an, sky. It's an auto gyro. All right, I feel like that's, that's the word for it. <laughs> I kind of like that sequence. I thought it was fun. I so. mean, it was ridiculous. Gadgets. Certainly. Yes. Yeah. I mean, gadgets are a hallmark. And actually, I, I you know, pared it down. But Ebert's review is like 90% about the gadgets. He's mm. really obsessed with them. He's a gadget them. head. He's a gadget head. Mm. And that certainly is an important element of the series and, and became so over time. You know, it was something that obviously audiences responded to that. So they did more of it. Much less important in the James Dong series. Yes. <laughs> um, so Time Magazine, in their unbylined review, said, Ever since his cinema debut in 1962, James Bond has been the subject of cult and caricature, spoof and spectacular. Now, five films later, he is the victim of the same misfortune that once befell Frankenstein. There have been so many flamboyant imitations that the original looks like a copy. Alas, the effects are ineffective. The outer space sequences would be more appropriate in a grade school educational short entitled Our Amazing Universe. And the volcanic climax is a series of clumsy process shots that no one took the trouble to fix. Even Sean Connery seems uncomfortable and fatigued, as if he meant it when he said that this would be his last Bond film. I do like that they already don't believe that he's going to really quit. Right, but I kind of liked all the effects and, you know, I mean, it was the 60s. I thought that stuff looked kind of fun, you know? Yeah, I agree. I mean, and maybe we just have sort of lower expectations for special effects in older films, but I feel like that's one of the things. I mean, and this movie had a a huge budget comparatively for the time. That's one of the things that clearly they put a lot of that money into and and whether it's the effects or, or again, the set design. I mean, just looking around the the base. Volcano crater. Yeah, the volcano crater base of, uh, of Blofeld, like, I was just astounded thinking of how they built that whole thing. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, come on, guys. That's it. Okay. Uh, Bosley Crowther in the New York Times. Bosley Crowther. Was a little more charitable, uh, kind of uh, backhanded compliments from him. He said, although there's a lot more science fiction than there is first vintage James Bond in You Only Live Twice, the fifth in a series of veritable Bond films with Sean Connery, There's enough of the bright and bland bravado of the popular British super sleuth mixed into this melee of rocket launching to make it a bag of good Bond fun. And there's so much of that scientific clatter, so much warring of super capsules out in space and fussing with electronic gadgets in a great secret underground launching pad that this way out adventure picture should be the joy and delight of the youngsters and give pleasure to the reasonable adults who can find release in the majestically absurd. So he's essentially saying, you know, what we have now is the like sort of turn off your brain, dumb, fun action movie yeah. perspective. 
Obviously, it's not for me, but you plebeians out there, enjoy it with your dumb rockheads. Exactly. That is essentially what he is saying, but at least he's sort of giving credence to the idea that some people will find this I mean, I kind of like that it was very sci-fi-ish and, you know, I liked a lot of the turns. I'm, I, you know, and it's funny because you're, you're giving it a, I mean, it's got a pretty good score on Rotten Tomatoes right now. Well, now and then, you know, 50 plus years later retrospect. Right. And it's, if you look up like top, top James or best to worst James Bond movies, this is usually always in the top 10. Well, right. But Connery didn't even make 10 James Bond movies. So if we're looking at from that perspective, this is sort of a lower tier of those Connery movies, I think. That's that's fair. But uh, I'm I've never really been into James Bond. So You're not I, a Bondologist? No, I'm not a Bondian. So <laughs> sure. Um, so I mean, honestly, I've seen like, you know, one of the Pierce Brosnan ones and um, I don't really even know if I saw any of the Daniel Craig ones. I never got into this series. So I kind of like this. This was fun for me. All right. So you had not seen this one. And had you seen any other Connery Bond movies before? Um, the Hunt for Red October. <laughs> <laughs> that's Jack Ryan. Oh, OK. Yeah, Sorry. that's it's it's easy to confuse those. Though. No, I, I don't think I've seen any Sean Connery. Bond. I've I'm almost a newbie to this entire James Bond thing. I'm, right. I'm double O zero on James Bond. So triple O. Maybe. I mean, I've seen two of them out of 25. I guess. Right. I think this is the 12th James Bond movie that I'd seen. Oh, you stink. Um, that's not even half. Right. No. And so, like, I think that's what's hilarious is that I've seen 12 of these movies, but I would not count myself as a fan. And I feel like I just sort of haphazardly have seen these. And have you seen all of the Bonds? Like, have you seen Roger Moore and George Lazenby and uh, Craig and Brosnan and uh, not all of them. I've never seen Lazenby, who took over after this film for On Your On Her Majesty's Secret Service, but made only the one that I have not seen. Nor have I seen either of the Timothy Dalton ones, That's who, who, who only made two of them. Yeah. But I've seen a couple Roger Moores. I've seen one of the Pierce Brosnans, and I've seen all of the Daniel Craig movies, mainly just because they're recent and it's been since I've been reviewing movies, and I just end up seeing everything practically. Yeah. So I feel like I've had a good sampling. I've seen four other Conneries, I think. And uh, this isn't the worst, but it isn't the best of those. Yeah, what did he do? Six altogether? I think he did, yeah, six official ones and then one more that was not, uh, as we go go back to talking about the producers, keeping a hold, yeah, 1983, Never Say Never Again, which is an unofficial uh, entry in the series. But he made, yeah, this was his fifth, and then he left and then came back for one more after this. So that's unofficial. I'm just trying to get this clarified as someone who doesn't know. As in the Broccoli family didn't control it. Someone else did, but it was able to use the character name James Bond. Yeah, and because of kind of what we were mentioning related to Casino Royale, where before James Bond became a thing, and Ian Fleming would sell the rights to these books to different people, the rights to the book Thunderball were controlled by someone else, but only that book. So he was able, that producer was able to remake specifically Thunderball right? and only that Bond story, but then could use the name James Bond and all that. So that film, which I haven't seen, is a remake of Thunderball. And do you think Connery just did it because he was like, hey, Broccoli, look what I'm doing over here. Go fuck yourself. Well, obviously, yes. I mean, I don't know, because as we can see, even in this movie, I think Connery over time sort of resented being James Bond. So what he felt about that in the in the 80s after having been away from it for 10 plus years, I'm not really sure. Yeah. And did that one, I'm just wondering, uh, did that one have like all the 
like bells and whistles, like the big theme song and the credit sequence and everything. I believe so. But again, I haven't seen it. I mean, I think the point of that was to sort of fool audiences into thinking this is just a regular James right. Bond movie. Never say never again. Yeah, I'm not sure what the theme song is, but um, I'm just wondering who's singing that. Like, uh, who, what singer is that? That was Kim Carnes after she finished Betty Davis Eyes. She, okay. It was a one session mm-hmm. wonder right mm-hmm. there. Dave, sure. how many have you seen? I'm sure I've seen all the Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig ones, but I maybe one or two of the other, you know, previous Bonds, and I had never seen this. What one. about your dad? It seems like he might go for like, a, oh, it's Sunday. I'm going to watch three Bonds in a, more, a row. I'm sure he's seen every single one of them. I mean, it, I'm surprised you're not more of a Bond guy. You know, you love action movies. You know, uh, yeah, I just never got into it. But uh, you know what? I would, I'd watch more after watching this one. All right. Mm. Yeah, I know. Growing up for me, my dad is a huge James Bond fan. And weirdly, I think that's one of the reasons that I didn't watch James Bond movies when I was a kid. Because you and your dad don't get along. We do get along, but I think as when <laughs> I was a, when I, when I was a kid, especially <laughs> unresolved, issues. I sort of yeah, there you go. I I sort of like resented efforts because mainly I he, I don't think he ever tried to get me into James Bond, but he always tried to get me to like sports. Yeah. And uh, I think because of my res- resent- <laughs> resenting that, I was like, whatever he likes, I'm not going to yeah. like. And so movie stuff that he liked, like James Bond and Westerns, I would never want to watch. That's hilarious that you just equated all of that with sports. And- I mean, you know, because I, I have these childhood memories of literally being like forced to sit through baseball games and like rooting for them to get out a lot so that yeah. the game would end and I could stop watching. But it. did you and you just never gave Bonds or Westerns a chances. And now as an adult, you've seen so many many of both cats in the cradle yeah so true i still don't like sports though and how's your relationship with your father right i feel now? like it's good thankfully i don't think he listens to this podcast though <laughs> he's not one of our patreons so that's good well roger come on man support your son listen to the awesome movie here anything else on the background of this film you want to mention jason uh josh you covered most of it i do want to get into more of your uh family Mm. unresolved it no hey you didn't mention who wrote the script roel dahl come on that's pretty cool yeah that's amazing and that was something that uh i mean he was not really a screenwriter this was his first produced and he doesn't like the book that this is based although he was a friend of ian fleming's but i think his point was that this book didn't really have a lot to put into a movie right and so they had to use very very little of what was in the book and uh and make stuff up so yeah actually i hadn't known that he wrote this and as I was watching it and his name came up in the credits, I thought, wow, Roald Dahl, this is going to be a really like weird, dark, quirk. And it's not at all. I didn't know he wrote it until when um, the volcano opened the kind of thing and a giant peach clogged it. I was yeah, like, oh, that was weird. And then and then Bond went to a chocolate factory <laughs> and you're like, what is happening? Yeah, here? I think it might have been better off if they would have just let him go all in on Roald Dahl style, huh? Yeah, but I mean, he clearly you know, understood James Bond movies and, and wrote yeah, it to be a, a James Bond movie. Yeah, he yeah. did a good job for this, but uh, not for maybe what we would have hoped for from his books and that kind wow. of stuff. Wow, talk about passive-aggressive compliment, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I hope he's not listening. I'm pretty sure he's not, because he's been dead a long time. We'll come back in a moment and talk about our general thoughts on You Only Live Twice. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this special bonus episode of our season on the films of 1967, we're talking about James Bond and his film, You Only Live Twice. 
And so, Jason, this was kind of like an introduction for you to James Bond and it's particularly particularly to the Sean Connery version. And uh, and you enjoyed it. I did like it. And I think one of the reasons I liked it is because like those first 15 minutes were so much fun, right? Like the first scene, which is a little 2001 ish, right, is, uh, you know, we have this spacecraft and then this kind of like bigger spacecraft comes in like gobbles it up it's like a pac-man space right exactly and then it's like and then you know so now you're set up with the mystery and like i think that's pretty cool right away like we're we're just stealing spacecrafts like grand spacecraft auto or something like that grand theft spacecraft that's what i meant to say Mm -hmm. but um and then right and then he fakes his death and they throw him they give him burial at sea and then like they wake him up i'm like whoa what there's so much crazy stuff happening already and then there's sumo wrestling. Who doesn't want that? And, you know, we're, we're off and running here. I was really into it. And I was like, there's intrigue. And I thought fights were fun. And, uh, yeah, it, it kind of peters out here and there. But as someone who hasn't been a fan, I was like, I could see watching more of these. This is kind of this is a good time. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely ridiculous. And I, I guess I, kn- I know that these movies are ridiculous. And I've seen enough of them to understand that. but. I, I think I was just like, this is so ridiculous and more so. I mean, it definitely kind of built over time, I think, as those reviews are, are pointing out as well, that this started as just an adaptation of a spy novel and it was more grounded to begin with. And then as audiences responded to the silly over the top elements, they added more and more and more of that into these movies. And so I, I don't know. I just... I, I feel like my I almost had the opposite reaction that there's so much crazy stuff at first. I was like, oh, come on. And and I couldn't get into it. Well, it's funny because we talked about this on the trip episode of how seeing it now and then kind of trying to process it back in its original point, having seen so much crazy action movie stuff where like I feel like it's gotten nonsensical. At least this like had some type of linear story where I could follow it beat to beat. And in that way, I was like, yeah, it's over the top and wild. But like, it's a story, so that's worth something. I guess. I mean, I didn't really feel like this story made sense. Um, and maybe I didn't pay enough attention to it or something, but I just thought it was a bunch of ridiculous. He steals the plans, up. right? To you Who know. steals what plans? Everyone steals every plan, Josh. <laughs> but then James Bond <laughs> steals them back. And then they go to the dock. And the then plans he does one what? of his own stunts. Oh, to make rocket fuel. To make rocket fuel? Is that what I think? Yeah, it's to make rocket fuel because they're sending the rockets up to to intercept the other rockets. But they already did that at the beginning of the movie. But then they're doing it, but they need to keep making it to intercept more rockets to cause a world war. Well, I got that they were trying to cause a world war, but wouldn't they have already had rocket fuel to begin with and known how to make it if they were already sending up rockets? Maybe, but that doesn't mean you throw away the blueprints, right? Lofeld contracted Osato's company to make the rocket fuel, right? And then Bond steals it and they track it to the docks. And where are these ships going with all this rocket fuel? Where they're going is Volcano Crater Island, man, right? And, you know, they're using that rocket fuel to send. Because you need a lot of rocket fuel if you're going to be sending rockets up to steal other rockets. You need more rocket fuel than those rockets have, right? So Do you? Maybe, maybe not. But if you're gonna if you're gonna have a whole base, you probably want, and your business is based on uh, rockets. You probably want rocket fuel there, is there right? A business plan to this whole thing. I feel like 
The base you're itself. Un, you're underestimating the financials of Spectre, I think, on this time. Spectre one. seems to have unlimited resources. Right. And so it, and they're includes, wasting it on this elaborate volcano no, thing. Include, no, they're not wasting it because for so long no one knew where it was, right? <laughs> it's a secret base. You can steal rockets out of the sky, bring them back. No one's none the wiser until James Bond has to scooby throw a it. rock at it. <laughs> yeah. So then uh, what's what else do you need to understand? I don't think I understood a single word that you said for the last <laughs> I three I'm minutes. You're wondering if I watched the same James Bond movie. Okay. <laughs> then Bond, who they think is dead, has to pretend to be Japanese. Problematic, sure. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. A little bit problematic. Yeah. <laughs> so he goes undercover as Japanese. And so why did he have to have a real wedding to be fake married to this Japanese? Well, lady? you have to sell the bit, man. Come but on. who was there to be sold to? Who knows, Josh? As you saw in ninja in the ninja school from Tiger Tanaka, who I quite enjoyed also. He was fine, yeah. Yeah. At the ninja school, people had gotten in, they killed Aki. They tried to kill him, so he was doing his best to, like, really, really go, you know, deep cover, really, Josh. Yeah, but really know. not, because, like, immediately he just, like, they go to the Japanese village where he's supposed to be undercover, and they just start speaking English, and he he's deep very cover. bad at being it's undercover. Like Brasco. He's a friend of ours. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> Look, I think, I, I think it's legit to enjoy this film, but it makes no fucking sense. Yeah, I feel like I've explained it very clearly to you. And could I have done that without reading the Wikipedia plot summary? Maybe no. not. But, but uh, yeah, then they go to a Volcano Crater, right? They swim there and climb and, and repel. And they're in Volcano Crater. And then uh, fight, 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 fight. James Bond. And That's, see, no one ever sings that. Uh, yes, yeah, some people sing James Bond, not in this movie. I, I don't, do any of those theme songs actually include the words James Bond? I bet they do. I don't know why you're looking at me. Because yeah, you're Dave, Dave's a music guy. Yeah, That's come true. on. Don't you know yeah. the lyrics okay, to look all at, songs? Look at me, look at me guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's my summary of the film. <laughs> all right. And uh, I mean, I hope that helped clarify things. For I you. enjoyed it, it. It did not. It, no? If anything, it made them more confusing. Um, <laughs> that's what happened in the movie. I'm telling you. Okay. Uh, I mean, to me, I feel like, though, if you're entertained by this movie, it's almost like either in spite of the nonsense of the plot or you just don't care about the nonsense of the plot and you're just having fun with james bond and his auto gyro shooting down uh I like helicopters that. right right no and i think that's fair if you enjoy the action scenes or the the visual style the production design all of that yeah. kind of stuff and what about the direction you know uh he did a very good job there Mr. uh lewis gilbert yeah. yeah who's maybe the most associated with james bond movies yeah maybe i mean he's certainly one of the main ones having directed well just the one connery movie and then he directed a couple of the roger moore movies later i think guy hamilton is another one who directed quite a few i think some of the earlier connery movies and you know of course later on martin campbell who worked with pierce brosnan and daniel craig and sam mendez most recently directed two of the most yeah, acclaimed ones his are supposed to be good yeah mendez yeah ones. those are um or at least one of them is. i mean look I just liked it because maybe I hadn't seen it before and I wanted to see what all the hype was about. And if uh, you're looking at it, like, did it live up to the hype for me? Sure, it did. Yeah. All right. So. Did you feel like Connery was engaged or did he seem no, checked No, but out? I didn't mind that because he's Sean Connery and, like, 
you know he i mean at some point i was like yeah you know put a little pop in that line there fella you know yeah he didn't really sell the jokes you know or anything like that so. no he really did he just seemed tired i'll tell you the part that made no sense to me which i know just is one part spoofed yeah. uh, often on bond right yeah like, so osato captures bond and brings him to uh the seductress wench helga brandt his assistant to murder Number 11 Yes. Right. To give him a murder. To do yeah, a murder on She's got to do a murder on and him. He's right. like, here's your tool. Do the murder. And she takes out the tool. She's like, instead of doing a murder, I'm going to sex you. Right. Right. Which is a Bond thing, you know, like, yeah. but I would think like, ah, well, maybe she's going to sex him and then do the murder. Right. But then she's like, nah, I like your plan. We'll go with your plan instead where I'm not going to murder you, but I'm going to help you escape. And then they're in a plane together. And then she's like, oh, just kidding. I'm going to parachute out and make you die in the plane. Like, why not just cut his throat when you could have done it after this? Or like while you're finishing this. I'll scene. tell you why. Because that was like the best part of the movie. That was <laughs> no, awesome. that didn't. That was <laughs> no, I mean, and I think you're right that it is a cliche of James Bond that he seduces all of these women, including the ones who are trying to kill him. Yeah. But I feel like they're missed a step in that scene where he's got to do the seducing first. Yeah, oh, I agree with you. But I mean, the seducing was done before when he first went into the office and they were uh, giving each other the eye. Like, I hey. guess it definitely did feel like there was a step missing. Like you can see him seducing uh, Aki, the assistant to Tiger Tanaka. Mm -hmm. uh, and there, I mean, she's not his enemy, but you can see that their relationship kind of builds or uh, Kissy, the, uh, the, his yes. fake wife, Kissy, Kissy, you know, another, like uh, all the women in James Bond movies have a uh, very uh, respectful names. I think <laughs> it's the word I'm looking for <laughs> there. That was the word you were looking yeah. for. But I mean, you can see as 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 silly as it is, there's sort of pro a progression there where he does seduce those characters. And that really feels like it's missing in that scene where literally, like you said, one second, she's I'm going to peel off your face. And then she's like, no, I'm going to make out with you. Josh. Have we not established that this whole year, this whole season is swinging 60s free love? You want to you want to kill me first? You're going to have to, you know sex me you know i mean that's it josh people I guess had a lot of sex they did they still do i don't know yeah <laughs> anyway <laughs> uh but no i mean i i'm agreeing with you about that particular scene and that that particular character um but you know that's another sort of cliched element of james bond that by this point people are expecting that to happen right and like the super villains like you kill him, I must go do another thing. Right? <laughs> yes. Even though he's the biggest threat I've ever had in my life. You do the killing, I will be over here. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the elaborate death traps. And I mean, the 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 piranha pool in this movie, I mean, you know, come on. Classic Austin Powers. Yeah. It, well, yeah. And and that is one thing that you can see. This movie in particular has so many things that Austin Powers took. Didn't this make you want to go back and rewatch Austin Powers? Definitely, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, Blofeld, we talked about, he's the villain here played by Donald Pleasance. And he had previously appeared only as a the shot of his hand right, or a disembodied voice. Or... Yeah, and this is the first time we actually see him. And the way that Blofeld looks is just an iconic James Bond element and, of course, was... Dr. Evil. It's, it's just straight up Dr. Evil. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Of course, that's, I mean, this is more legacy stuff, but yes, that's not my favorite homage to Blofeld and the James Bond Spectre, you know, universe. Mine would be Mad and uh, Mad these, Magazine? No, just the organization Mad and Inspector Gadget 
Oh and, yes, uh, yeah. Who was that, Doctor? Doctor Claw. Dr. Yeah, Claw. I did love Doctor oh, yeah. Claw. Yeah, I watched a lot of Inspector Gadget as a kid. Yeah, um, go Gadget, go. Exactly, good stuff. But right, it's just so it's it's comical, obviously. But to me, I just didn't feel like it was comical in a fun way necessarily. Okay, the music's awesome. Sure, music is good. Like, I love it's. I mean, this is a silly word, but it's cinematic and it really is it's so big and grandiose right Right. and i mean i said like i think the the cinematography is very good the art direction's good so you know those things all work for me yeah that's fair should we talk about the racism (laughs) (sighs) what racism i mean maybe racism is maybe uh too harsh a word but certainly uh racial insensitivity cultural insensitivity let's say what (laughs) No, I know this is a tough one to to put because like I think like in the intention wasn't bad, but the result of the uh, action wasn't good. Right. right. I mean, this you- is a movie where they're 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 meaning to showcase Japan and Japanese culture and all of that. Yeah. Much like the Karate Kid 2 did with uh, wherever he went in the Karate Kid 2. I to Japan, what. probably? Uh, did he go to Osaka, maybe? Okay, or, that's in Japan. Uh, Okinawa. Also in Japan. There you go. All right. But, uh, they, but they didn't paint themselves, so that's better. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is a movie that they did. They shot a lot of it in Japan. Like they, all of it. It's yeah. there in Pinewood, the interior. Right, the interiors. But, you know, a lot of location shooting in Japan. They work with Toho Studios, which is a big major J- Japanese studio. And a lot of those actresses and actors were contracted through Toho. Right. And I feel like, it, it, you know, it's a low bar to cross. But if this movie was made 10 years earlier, it would have just cast a bunch of white people Mickey, as the Japanese people. Mickey Rooney. Right. And, yeah. yeah. So. Even not 10 years earlier, even maybe the same year. That's what I mean. I feel like they didn't try to be insensitive and like, you know. Even the way they show him going undercover as a Japanese person, at least it was like Mrs. Doubtfire style makeup as opposed to just horrible, horrible, like, let's get a costume from a novelty store type thing, you know? Yeah, but I mean, that whole sequence was A, as I Not pointed, good, not no, good. No, I mean, it doesn't, it's really like unnecessary and nonsensical yeah. within the context of the story. But yeah, it's super offensive. And it's, it's kind of hilarious because Tanaka is like, we're going to make Japanese and that involves a, a wig and uh what looked like some prosthetics on his eyes yeah. but then he didn't even look different he just looked like Sean right. Connery you almost wish that Tanaka had a gadget for that where he could just go and laser him into like or like a mission impossible kind of one of those uh, masks face, yeah, yeah face replacement right sorts. right yeah no like we black widow right we didn't get to those until later in the maybe I think Pierce Brosnan did some of that kind of stuff Ooh. maybe I like Pierce Brosnan I do too He's got nothing to do with this movie, but I want it on the record. I'm a Pierce Brosnan Yeah, fan. well, you know, it's relevant. We'll talk about that. So, also, he was in Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> <laughs> that is what I meant about how relevant I it win, was. I win the game. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but, I mean, should we talk about any of the other performances beyond Connery? What other performances? <laughs> I mean, we already mentioned we like Tiger Tanaka, right? Right, so, yeah. Donald Pleasance is fun as Blofeld. Uh, Tanaka is played by Tetsura Tanba, who I looked up his filmography, it's like the Roger Corman of acting. This dude has acted in like almost 400 things, which is amazing. I love that. Yeah, know? he was a huge Japanese star. And but I don't think he he didn't use this to then star in other. American no, movies. I know. I think he was most famous for a TV show. He did G-Men or G-Men 75. OK, so 
Yeah, I mean, the women have nothing to do, and, um, you know, they fawn over him. Aki is a little better than Kissy as far as um, what they are offered from a character standpoint. But, uh, no, the only other actor I want to talk about is the uh, the driver who James Bond beats up when they get to Osato's lair, which is, of course, the high chief himself, Peter Mayavia, a.k.a. The Rock's grandfather. Oh, nice. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Was he a wrestler, too? Yeah, Rock is a third-generation wrestler. So Amazing. Peter Mayavia to Rocky Johnson to The Rock. So. All right. Yeah, I feel like The Rock could be uh, get beat up james bond or something i feel the like future. the rock could be james bond because you know the rock his whole thing is uh franchises only that's true he's mm-hmm. big on the franchises so but you're right i think that maybe even more so than some other james bond movies the other characters the other actors in this don't really matter i mean we also have we should say the sort of standard james bond characters you've got m his boss a little and right, they're not in this movie that much. Q, the gadget guy who really shows up only to bring him Little Nelly, which I know you love, Little Jason. Nelly's yeah, great. and Miss Money Penny, the secretary. I did the love secretary. She is. I did love at the beginning of this movie when they fake James Bond's death and uh, he's given the burial at sea, and then they rescue him and they bring him to the submarine where M and Miss Money Penny are hanging out. That uh, M decided to bring his whole office into the submarine, <laughs> including his secretary and her desk, all of the like knickknacks that sit on her desk. And, you know, she has, they're in a fucking submarine, but she has a little intercom to his office to tell him, oh, James Bond is here for you. He just kind of showed up, you know, yeah. and so that was hilarious. Yeah, I mean, all right. I think, I think Josh, we've, um, you know, done a full referendum on this one. And maybe yeah. I was a little too excited. Maybe you were a little too, uh, antithetical towards this one but i'm ready to rate it out of five um uh fake deaths five fake deaths all right you only live five times (laughs) (laughs) you only live yeah sure why not i don't know i I will admit on letterboxd i gave this three and a half but after your uh just sweltering beatdown of this thing i'm gonna give it three fake deaths all right i mean hey if you liked it you liked it that's fine you know i didn't hate it i i wasn't gonna give it two and a half fake deaths i mean there's still charm to it i just feel like it's uh there's better bond movies so uh dave how would you rate this i was gonna give it three but if you're bringing it down to three and you <laughs> like it so it much more than me half. i can't do that you go but... right up to three and a half right <laughs> all right now. three and a half fuck it <laughs> you say two and a half yeah, yeah probably right. yeah. well that that does it we don't need any more lists about it this has been the ultimate uh, say so on this film yeah, so don't make any more lists about and really know. the definitive take on james bond as a whole yeah like, i sure. don't need to watch any of the other movies because i think you've caught me up on the entire series well we'll come back and talk a little bit about the legacy of you only live twice Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year in this special bonus episode of our season on the films of 1967. We've been talking about You Only Live Twice and all things James Bond. And the legacy of this film, of course, is the continued and uh, continuing James Bond franchise. As we said, Sean Connery at this point was kind of uh, over James Bond. He did leave. We see at the end of this movie, at the end of the credits, it says James Bond will return in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. And that was the next James Bond movie starring George Lazenby. But that didn't really work out very well. And uh, he left to be uh, replaced by Sean Connery for one more film for Diamonds Are Forever from 1971, 
which I have seen uh, mainly because it's mostly set in Las Vegas and it's not a good movie, but it has a lot of great vintage Las Vegas stuff in it, which is fun, uh, worth checking out, you know, for, for Vegas folks. But then Connery left again to be replaced by Roger Moore. And uh, as we said, he returned for the sort of unofficial, uh, non-sanctioned James Bond film, Never Say Never Again in 1983. And I was going to say, Jason, do you have a favorite James Bond movie? But obviously you... Uh, do you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say my favorite is Skyfall, the um, Daniel Craig film. Skyfall! Which, which also has a great theme song by Adele. Um, one of the best James Bond theme songs. But it just, to me, that, and, and I'm not huge on James Bond, as we said, even though I've, you know, seen quite a few of the films at this point. But that is just like, it's a really good, big action spectacle, but it does actually have some real grounded character stuff for James Bond and his childhood and going back. Skyfall is the name of the sort of like estate where he grew up and his relationship with M, who at that point is played by Judy Dench in a number of the films. So, um, yeah, Skyfall, I feel like, is a legit good action blockbuster. What movie. about of the older, the classic Bond movies? Uh, I think from Russia with Love, the maybe the second Connery film. I like, I haven't seen all of those. And it's been a while since I saw that one. But I remember liking that one. And uh, The Spy Who Loved Me, as far as the Roger Moore films go, is pretty good. He's a better battle. The Roger Moore films are known for being, like, the goofiest and most ridiculous. But that one is a, is a decent balance of the, like, action spy stuff as well as the ridiculousness is roger more better as james bond or as the james bond type character in the cannonball run probably the latter but uh i don't know i mean of that course makes me happy one of the things is, is that i mean i don't know if connery did as much but but you you mentioned roger moore and of course when we talked about hot fuzz we've got you know timothy dalton Who's wonderful in that film. he is and and i think pierce brosnan too that, that these James Bond actors, uh, once they stop being James Bond, they really enjoy making fun of James Bond. Yeah, and, you know, we see Brosnan now as kind of getting to that um, that next phase where he's doing a lot of great character work, and, you know, we kind of want that with these guys. Yeah, I think so. I think Brosnan especially has had a chance to really uh, do a lot of that, and uh, we'll see what Daniel Craig does. His final Bond movie, allegedly, uh, No Time to Die, as we're recording, this is supposed to open in October. We'll see what happens. Yeah, but he kills it in Knives Out, and he'll be in at least the first sequel. Yeah, I think he's, he's planned to be in a, at least two sequels. I thought Knives he was Out. great in that movie. Yeah, he's he's I mean, he's clearly having fun, and I think he hasn't parodied James Bond necessarily, but he has enjoyed sort of goofing off and playing with his serious image in that or in uh, Logan Lucky, the Steven Soderbergh yeah, film. Yeah, I didn't love that one. I didn't either, but I think you can tell in, in those movies that Daniel Craig is enjoying, uh, you know, sort of spoofing himself in a way. I like that. Yeah, Go me too. Daniel Craig. Good that when these actors have sort of... Uh, Will we ever have a black James Bond? Because, like, Idris Elba is the natural... He is too old for it at this point, though, hmm. I think, Idris Elba. Daniel Kaluuya. Kaluuya. Yeah, I mean, there have been a lot of names that have come up and I, I, I think, man, we don't know, but uh, I think there's been so much discussion about that, that the producers are going to go in that direction in some way. Just recently, as we're recording this, I've seen people talk about Dev Patel as a potential James Bond. I think he'd be really good at it. I don't actually. know, man. I, you know, there's a he's a, he'd have to buff up, right? Well, but they all do. I mean, any of them, yeah. anyone who takes on one of those roles. That's any of those, why I said The Rock. He's already buffed. He doesn't need to buff up. No, The Rock is too buff. And I mean, one much. thing... They they may they may go with some diversity, but one thing I don't think they'll ever do is get a non-British person to play James Bond. Yeah. Okay. 
So I, I don't, I don't think the rock could do it, but uh, I'm curious to see who ends up as James Bond next. Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett could totally be James Bond. 100%, you know, although she's Australian. So, but then again, so is George Lazenby. So who knows? So, I mean, beyond, you know, we talk about Sean Connery was sort of uh, resentful of potentially being typecast as James Bond, but of course he went on to have an amazing career as a million different kinds of things. Won an Oscar for the untouchables. Uh, Do you have a favorite Connery movie? Or performance? Good question. Uh, come back to me. Uh, you're the man now, dog. Yeah, there's that. There's certainly that. <laughs> Do you? Uh, I've never seen that movie. I've just seen the meme. Yeah, I've never seen that movie either. What's your point? Yeah, I mean, you know, I I love him as uh, Indiana Jones's dad. Yeah, I agree with that. That's my answer. You yeah. took it. From and me. I've actually never seen The Untouchables. Have you? Yeah, he's good in The Untouchables. Right. So. Yeah. Dave, do you have a favorite Sean Connery uh, performance? I hate to do this, but I was going to go with Indiana Jones' dad, too. No, so, that's great. Yeah. It's a great performance. It's a really fun yeah. movie. Back when Indiana Jones meant something before Shia LaBeouf and the flying monkeys just skull fucked that thing to death. I mean, it was always a little silly, so. But it's horrible after that. Well, well, this is not really relevant to this episode. It's relevant to my hatred of the Crystal Skulls. I guess so. <laughs> um, Blofeld is another character who ended up being played by a number of actors as, as one of the iconic villains of the James Bond series. Uh, once we saw his face in this movie, they were able to kind of show him again, although Donald Pleasance never played him again. But uh, Telly Savalas, mm. Max von Sydow. And of course, Christoph Waltz most recently in the Daniel Craig movies. That's a good list of actors. Right? That is. That is a good list of actors. Lewis Gilbert. Wait, w- mm-hmm. with, did Christoph Waltz like do it like how did I think I think once Dr. Evil existed, was you can't right. you can't do it that so way. So he just he did he just did Christoph Waltz. Waltz. He just good. did Christoph Waltz. That's, yeah. I mean, he's so good. I he love is Christoph good. Waltz. Yeah. But no, I think it, you can't you can't have him be the kind of doc because everyone just thinks of Austin Powers. Yeah. Yeah, so Lewis Gilbert, as we said, directed a couple of others. He directed The Spy Who Loved Me, which I mentioned, and Moonraker, two uh, Roger Moore, James Bond movies. And had a whole big career directing a whole lot of stuff uh, all the way through 2002 was the final. Yeah, I mean, Educating Rita with Michael Caine. And then I remember when I was a kid, uh, a film that he directed, which I have no idea is good or not, but constant commercials for Shirley Valentine. Do you remember I that? I don't know that film. The, I mean, the, the biggest famous one, I think, is Alfie with Michael Caine. Which What's was, it all about? Right, which was, uh, it was predated, is before this, but that's right. probably his most famous non-Bond film. Educating Rita also with Michael Caine. Ah, yeah. And Roald Dahl, as we said, was not really a screenwriter. The one other screenplay he wrote that was produced was another Ian Fleming adaptation, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which well, I hadn't realized was Ian Fleming. Didn't he do the screenplay for Willy Wonka, I thought? He was not credited with it, I don't think. I thought he wrote that one. I, if he yeah. did write it, he was heavily rewritten because he denounced that movie mm. that they had changed so much. He's great. He is great. Also uh, racist, I believe. But Not, not great. <laughs> you I know, don't like that part. But, but, uh, racist against who? Or I think he was anti-Semitic more. Mm, also not great as a, <laughs> yeah. as a Jew. I'm not a fan. But I mean, I, I loved Roald Dahl's books uh, as a kid. And, and still, I think, you know, there's a lot of great, like one thing about him that is really enjoyable is that he wrote for children a lot, but it was always this like weird twisted Dark. stuff. Yeah, yeah. For children, which I loved as a kid. Uh, have you seen Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? No. no I've seen James and the Giant Peach. Yeah, James and Giant Peach is great. Willy Wonka, as we it's talked about amazing. in our producer's yeah. episode with uh, Gene Wilder. 
uh, the witches, the original version of the witches. Not I, a huge fan. Uh, I like that one a lot. But that was another one that I think Dahl denounced because they made some changes to his book. So yeah, he was were, a crank. He was definitely a crank. Did he say these witches don't hate enough Jews? Well, there's definitely speculation that some of the way that he described the witches were uh, based on Jewish stereotypes. But uh, that's a whole. Man, no, you just ruined all of Roald Dahl for <laughs> that's me. That's a whole other episode. Really. Next, you're going to tell me Bobby Fisher was anti-Semitic. <laughs> So, so many digressions here. Um, yeah, I don't know. The only other thing on the legacy, and we've just talked about this a lot, but Austin Powers. Yeah, and and what and it's still indelible. Yeah, like, it really is. So I know Mike Myers gets heat, and but and he's got the new show coming out where he plays like seven characters. But like when he hits a home run, he hits a grand slam. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen those movies in a while, but I think at least the first one is still pretty fun. Dave, are you? A, I feel like this is something you probably love. Oh yeah, I, I love those movies, and I actually I haven't watched them in a long time either. But I caught a little bit of Goldmember recently, and it was funnier than I remember it being. I didn't like that. I liked the first. I, one. I know most then, people don't yeah. like the third one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been a long time, but I mean, the more the more early James Bond movies you watch, the more you can see how much they took from them. Did oh, anyone yeah. ever? do an impression of austin powers no i think much like borat no, no one has one, ever done the impression someone should really do it and like maybe do it a lot just like all the time because mm, it would never get old no it would be like if someone made an innuendo and then said something like that's what she said afterward that would be always funny really fresh yeah that's why jason's a successful stand-up comedian i'm not but i don't do that stuff josh I saved my impressions for titans like George Kennedy. Yeah. Do you want? Do you want to? Do you want to get any more impressions out of your system before no, we end? No, I here? feel good. You're acting like I only do this show to do the impressions. No, I appreciate your impressions. They serve a purpose on this. They show. do absolutely. Yeah, they and do. I'm not going to just do a Austin Powers impression just to you know just like I'm I'm not a piece of meat, Josh. Okay, you're not a dancing monkey for our pleasure. <laughs> no. Okay. Well, that is you only live. Feelings. That is you only live twice, and that is this episode of Awesome Movie Year. Uh, thank you. Uh, if you're listening to this on Patreon, you probably know all about our social medias. But uh, Jason, you want to give them all that info? Sure. AwesomeMovieYear.com. That's a website. Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram. Those are social medias. Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. Another social media. Jason Harris Comedy on Instagram and Facebook. More social medias. Jay Harris Comedy on Twitter and other social media. Go for Jason.com. Questionable as if that's a website or not. JoshBellHatesEverything.com. Also questionable. And uh, I'm also at JoshBellHatesEverything on Facebook and at SignalBleed on Twitter. And uh, again, if you're on the Patreon, you probably know, but you can check out our producer David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. Someone should have throw that thing in a crater <laughs> oh man <laughs> i'm on it every month what are you talking about piecing it together can be found wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on social media at piecing pod and don't forget to join our facebook group popcorn and puzzle pieces yeah and that's great where you can choose your favorite cartoon dog because someone puts up a meme there's some memes call. there's some memes there there's some other decent stuff um <laughs> and uh if you're listening to this episode later you can join the Patreon for bonus episodes each season. And uh, where is that, Dave? It is the Produced by David Rosen Patreon. It's patreon.com slash by David Rosen. Stuff from us there, as well as piecing it together and some great David Rosen music. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. 
Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.